Hey, it's Eric G. Around the House is sponsored by Baldwin Hardware. For 75 years, Baldwin Hardware has been known for its first-class quality and craftsmanship in door and cabinetry hardware. As an alumnus of the Baldwin Hardware Design Council, I can say I have seen the details and quality from design to the finished product. If you're looking for a new style and old-world craftsmanship, I can tell you there is only one Baldwin Hardware. Check out what would look great in your home at baldwinhardware.com. in the house here. The S is back on board to do some research for uh, yet another beautiful, beautiful historic home. Um, this one is centered in Langhorne, Pennsylvania. Ties to the Underground Railroad. Dates back to about 1810. We love this story, especially because of the women that we found um, in the research, just uh, picking up the family with horrible tragedies and, you know, just surviving. It's Around the House. When it comes to remodeling and renovating your home, there is a lot to know, but we've got you covered. This is Around the House. Welcome to Around the House with Eric G and Caroline B, where we talk home improvement every single weekend. Thanks for joining us today. We have a couple great guests in the studio here. You might have heard them maybe a year or two ago. We've got History Attic Research in the house here. Christine and Linda, we're having a good time here. This is going to be a great show because I don't know about you. You know, I'm on the West Coast, so it's one of those things that, you know, my house was built in 1977, so I don't have a ton of history here. But you know something? If you talk to our buddy Jeff Devlin and some of these other people out there, They've got homes that are, what, 300-plus years old, and they've got a story to tell. And Linda and Chris here, they go back and find that story for you. Welcome to Around the House, guys. Hey, back. <laughs> so you, this last week, uh, were on Jeff Devlin's Stonehouse Revival Show. How cool is that? He asked us back on board to do some research for uh, yet another beautiful, beautiful historic home. Um, this one is centered in Langhorne, Pennsylvania, ties to the Underground Railroad, dates back to about 1810. We love this story, especially because of the women that we found um, in the research, just uh, picking up the family with horrible tragedies and, you know, just surviving. So the, the original uh, land where the house is situated today was part of a 584-acre tract that was deeded from William Penn as all of the land in Pennsylvania was once William Penn's. Um, he was a Londoner uh, who was given the state of Pennsylvania before it was the state of Pennsylvania. It was just land at the time um, from King Charles. And he started to um, sell off a parcels of acreage to um, people that he wanted to make sure, you know, he was bringing his, people over, um, usually Quaker, sympathetic to kind of William Penn's background. So sure. the Quaker faith, you know, came over from England. So the original tract, you know, 584 acres um, in Bucks County, which was wilderness at the time. And then, you know, it got parceled out from the original owner um, down through a family, um, through the, the male side of the family until 
the uh, owner of the, the property that actually built the house was the Richardson family. Um, they built the house in about 1810. Um, and we were able to really track the family stories from the very beginning of the 584 acre parcel down to the families that lived in the house themselves. Um, and, you know, went through really their genealogy. Um, we went through all of the census records. So we were, it's cool when you pull a census record, you're able to go back and see the names of the people that lived in the house, how old they were, their occupation, um, mm -hmm. the value of the property. So it's really interesting to take a look back in time just to see what the family makeup was. Um, Linda mentioned that the, the house did have a tie to the Underground Railroad in Pennsylvania, uh, was a place where, you know, slaves that were escaping from the South would come up through the northern states and basically be shuttled um, by sympathetic people um, up to safety, usually in New York or Canada. So a lot of interesting stories um, in the area. Certainly the Revolutionary War was all around it. Um, we're in a very history-rich area here in Pennsylvania, so there's no shortage of stories to, uh, to complement what's going on with the properties. Every time I get in there and see my brother and uh, get up to uh, WEEU and Reading and, and get to hang around the whole area around there, I just love it because we don't have that history out here. I mean, I'm 10 miles from the from the end of the Oregon Trail, but if we find a house that's built in the 1800s, we all go, ooh, that's old for us <laughs> over here. And yeah. that, what I mean by 1800s, I'm not talking like 1810, I'm talking like 1895. That's right. old to us, you know, right. whole different scale over there. Right. Yeah. I was going to say some of the, one, the trails that we get led on with the history. So we started out with Langhorn and I, you know, you just do like basic Google search of history of Langhorn. So then found out that it was Attleboro. Then before Attleboro is called Four Lanes End. So then you go off on that trail. It's all just a whole bunch of giant series of rabbit holes. But anyway, so I Googled Four Lanes End, and lo and behold, we found a book by uh, Marty Grundy, who it's literally probably like what, like 300 pages, Chris? Yeah. And it's the history of the Richardson family who built the house. So wow. chock full of their, you know, lineage, photos of almost everybody that lived in the house, all those who built the house, like old daguerreotypes, um, samplers that you know some of the daughters sewed by hand i mean just unbelievable so sometimes you know the the gods open up and give us a, a major help and break and this was one of them so we were thrilled so um there was also jeff marshall from the heritage conservancy he researched the house in the 1980s um there's a barn that's no longer on the property he actually remembers the barn being there so um just it's just amazing that people before us you know, add to what we do. It's just all like a giant puzzle that over the years, people just keep filling in and filling in and filling in until you have this amazing story of this, of this house and people that, that live there and called it home. And, um, we're happy to present it. It's great. Ah, oh, that's a great gift when you can find someone else's research that they <laughs> spent all that time on. And you're like, there's a gold mine right there. Yeah. The thing that we like thesis and everything. Yeah. The thing that we liked best about finding that book, um, it was really solely focused on the genealogy of the family. Um, this, you know, Marty Grundy, who's, who's still living, um, we were in touch with her quite a lot through the research process. 
Um, she's a living descendant of this Richardson family, and she was able to, you know, really piece together some of the more intimate details of the family. And there were parts where, because her book was focused more on the genealogy rather than the actual specific house, we were really able to complement her understanding of what happened in the house through the work that we do with things like tax records and census records and maps and so between, you know, between the, the back and forth that we had with, with Marty, it was really interesting to fill in some of the gaps that even she had um, you know, with this published book. So it, it, was, it was a great uh, collaboration, and we really enjoy when we're able to find people who are as excited as we are about you know, what, what we do. That's awesome. Well, you guys have done so many projects. I remember, didn't you guys even do uh, Jeff Devlin's house? Didn't yep. he have like... Wasn't there a story there where he had some famous guy that might have been partying in his yard or something or something so, crazy, if I remember out of that? Yeah. Little so, Benedict Arnold or something. Exactly. So <laughs> we, uh, we, when Jeff, we asked Jeff if he had ever had the history done of his house. And he said, yeah, I, you know, I went to the historical society and, and uh, they weren't really able to help me too much, which is interesting to me because you have to know what questions to ask when you enter these historical societies. You can't just walk in and sure. say, you know, I live on 435 Main Street. Tell me the history of my house. It's not really how it works. Yeah. Um, you kind of have to know exactly what you're, you know, need what records you need to pull. So we said, well, let's let us give us a shot, give it a shot. And I think Jeff was a little incredulous. He's like, yeah, you're not going to be able to find anything. <laughs> like, so right. okay. we, he's we so went- melodramatic, by the I way. Know. He's always like, oh, yeah, yeah. Good luck with that. Right. So we're doing the research on this place. um, And his house was actually a tenant house for a larger estate. So the, and the estate is actually still behind him. Of course, it's all filled in with subdevelopment houses now, which kills us. But um, it was the house where the tenant farmers would live. So he, when we went to do the presentation for him, he knew he's on a trail, you know, for the Revolutionary War timeframe. Um, the house is on like his road is directly on the oh cool yeah so when we went to do the the presentation for him he's a big history buff too getting you know more and more into American history but when we went to do the presentation I said to him does the name Benedict Arnold mean anything to you and he literally (laughs) put his arm up and he goes I have goosebumps so we were (laughs) able to find the main estate where his house you know was part of the the property the owner of that estate, his niece was Benedict Arnold's wife. Oh, wow. So we, we were yeah. able to, you know, make that connection. Of course, we can't say for sure if Benedict Arnold ever visited the house, but the fact that, you know, the niece was was certainly there. We found her in census records actually at the house. It it kind of goes to show that he could very well have been there. Yeah. We're gonna say he did. We're gonna say that he sat down at the table and had dinner. <laughs> In the tenant house. We're going to go that far. We're going to go that far. There we go. I love that. That is awesome. And and I'm sure Jeff was just completely stunned at that yeah. info. Yeah, that's yeah. the best part is the presentations and just sitting down and saying, like, did you know that this house, you know, XYZ happened here or, you know, even the even more horrible stories about who died here because we get a lot of, like, you know, I hear this in the middle of the night or I hear that and I want to know why I have a creepy feeling in this room, what went down. So it's really um, the presentation is is like Christmas morning for us every time we do it. 
Well, it seems too that uh, from what I've been seeing, at least in my experience, is that, and I haven't re- researched at all. You guys can probably answer this a heck of a lot better than me guessing, but it seems that in Pennsylvania, those original kind of land grants were typically large pieces of land. They weren't like for an acre or a half acre that you would see with homes these days. It was usually in the, almost in the hundreds, wasn't it? Yeah, it was usually 200 plus, 300 plus. Um, Yeah, it was usually, the way that that Penn set out to set up what he called his manors, um, it was very much reminiscent of what England used to look like. So you'd have these manors that were, you know, 500 acres, 1,000 acres, and there was really kind of a covenant, if you will, uh, that the land purchaser went into with Penn, where there are all kinds of restrictions that Penn put on this manor concept, where the owner could not, you know, keep the the 500 or 1,000 acres for themselves. They had to have settlers come into Pennsylvania. It was, it was a very interesting way of Penn trying to have this system of population that he wanted to do. Um, of course, it didn't He was the original last. HOA president. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like he even put a time frame on it. It was like within three years, you have to sell X number of acres or you forfeit your, you know, your right to the property. Like he, wow. he was the, uh, he was the first guy to do subdivisions. <laughs> <laughs> that's wild. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's cool. And so you guys have done a lot of different homes since we've last talked. I mean, I think it was, geez, maybe 18 months or so ago that we first kind of had you on and I have to go back and actually take a look, but Right. This just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's fun to watch because, I mean, we were talking about even about uh, you working with uh, Kevin O'Connor a little bit, who was just on the show here, you know, a month or so ago. Yeah, we um, we I met Kevin at one of the trade shows down in Florida for my uh, photography business. And we got to talking um, and he loved the concept of what we did. So he kind of, you know, just I just said, give me a couple addresses. So he gave us one in Beverly, Mass and one in Manchester by the sea. Um the one in Beverly Mass is the one that he actually owns. So we were able to find some really cool photos of, you know, the family that was sort of like the the main, I think they lived there for like 70 years. Um, oh, wow. It's interesting doing something out of state and not seeing it, which is like, for me, like I'm a visual person. So we will be taking a Chris, uh, trip, Chris, up there because I want to see these houses that we've researched. <laughs> but I mean, the one in Manchester by the sea, we found it used to be just like a summer cottage. And we found a newspaper article of, you know, so-and-so is closing up her cottage on X lane. Um, and she's a painter. So I was like hell bent on trying to find a painting of that she did. But of course, you know, that's, that's like, you know, a year's project that is still. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with somebody that might've been, you know, big at their time, but not a, not a big painter out there that you can go into a gallery and exactly. see one of their pieces. Yeah. She might've just been some, you know, town woman that just did it for fun. So, and a big thank you to Kevin, cause he did a, a you know, a huge uh, story share and shared our name and, you know, was really excited about our process. And we know obviously he's a huge history buff and their history up there is, is amazing. So we would love to get, get our hands on some more cause um, that just ties into a whole other part of American history up there. Yeah, it's funny. I was when I was last in Boston. I was up there, oh, probably eighteen months or so ago. Um, I was up there speaking for the Northeastern Retail Lumber Association, and 
My great, great grandfather immigrated in the 1800s to the U.S. from Sweden, and I found the address of the home in his census records. Actually, it was on his immigration paperwork that they had that I had found online and went out and took, you know, Ubered from my hotel over in front of the house and and kind of walked around the neighborhood for a second in the rain and and took a picture of it and and just kind of checked it out going, wow, okay, house is still there. That's a trip. You know? Yeah, you should, have, you should have knocked. Maybe they would have let you in. I would have. <laughs> I thought about it, but I, I had to be at the airport and, you know, in, yeah, a few, in, in an hour. And I thought, man, this is going to get drug in and I'm going to miss a flight because right. I, once I'm talking to people and I'm starting to hear, I was like, okay, if I go down this rabbit hole, it's going to be a rabbit hole and I'm not making it to the airport. Oh, yeah. No, you have to have time for that stuff. I can't like if I have like 15 minutes, I can't even open my computer because I know whatever I'm going to, I'm going to mess because I just get sucked in. It's so easy. Yep. So I thought, okay, I'll write him a letter. I'll send it to him and and then I'll go that route. Next time I'm in Boston, I'll schedule something instead of just knocking on the door and who's this creepy dude trying to sell me something on my front porch. Would you like a vacuum? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or a magazine subscription. (laughs) Exactly. One of the, uh, one of the cool things about what Linda and I do, especially in this area is that, um, our father's line has been in Pennsylvania since the 1600s. So, you know, they, they were Quaker. I mean, it fits the mold of exactly what, you know, was happening. So this one that we did in Langhorn, as we're going back, I thought, I told Linda, I said, I, I'm pretty sure we're going to run into some, one of our family members, you know, in this history. So lo and behold, that original 584 track, acre tract belonged to our six times great grandparents. So it gives us a little bit of extra like incentive to really understand what's going on with the property. And, you know, of course, we're looking at it like, well, can we just claim rights to it and just take it back? Or, you know, like, so who doesn't want 600 acres, right? I mean, yeah. Well, so we could any- afford it in Bucks County today, but right. <laughs> so anybody in Bucks County who has a house, we're pretty much your landlords. Just saying. <laughs> Please send the check right. to. <laughs> Please write check to exactly. It's just a, it's just another layer of you know interest for us. It's it's we love the history and we love finding the stories, but when we have a personal connection to it, it just it's it's that much more interesting for us. So it, it keeps me personally, it keeps me going because I'm kind of I'm kind of double double dipping. You know, I'm doing the work for for others and our clients, but I'm also learning more about our own family at the same time, which is really neat for me. Right. That's awesome. What have been some of the most shocking things or famous people or events that you found so far with your clients? Uh, well, for me, it, we always tread a little bit lightly with clients because some clients want to know the gory details. I mean, and, and some of the cases we have had some pretty tragic stories that we've uncovered. So sure. we, we do ask clients, like, you know, if we find something that's not so great to talk about. Do you want to know about it? Um, sure. Most of the time, you know, we obviously are sympathetic to and, and, and present it as gently as we can. But the one that we did in Langhorn, Linda mentioned the barn earlier, the barn that used to be on the property, two of the men of the family actually died in the barn. Um, oh. One of the men had a, had a stroke at an early age in the barn. He had gone out to we found a newspaper article that described this. He had gone out to, you know, milk the cows in the morning and wasn't back for breakfast. And the family went to look for him and found him. Um, sadly, years later, his grandson, who had then, you know, it had 
the property had descended down to the grandson. He was, you know, in his 40s, which at the time was getting up there. Um, but he apparently sure. had suffered from, at the time, they didn't know anything about depression, um, but apparently had suffered from depression. Um, and he actually committed suicide in the barn, same barn. So the barn's not there wow. anymore, which I guess is, is I get good. I get that in the family history going, okay, this barn has not done us well over the exactly. years. So it's time yeah, to go, barn. Exactly. So, you know, we do find those cases. Um, and Linda mentioned also, you know, the women of that same family going through these types of tragedies. They In the 1800s, it was difficult for women, generally speaking, but they were able to really pick themselves and their family up by the bootstraps and keep the farm going. Um, wow. They were very resourceful. They, they kind of were just these strong. And the pictures that we have, you can almost see it in their face. They just had this very strong presence of family and determination to keep things going. So right. those are kind of the, the, you know, the regular family stories that we love. Um, of course, you know, if we get a connection to somebody like Benedict Arnold, it's, it's really cool for us, but <laughs> um, we, we have, a, you know, a couple famous locally famous, we have connections in one of our property to a very famous clockmaker. Um, who made these gorgeous grandfather case clocks back in the day. He was very, very well known in the area. Um, and we, you know, just the local lore of how things are interconnected. Um, we always tell yeah. clients that our research is never completed for their house because chances are we'll be researching another property in the next town and stumble across something that's related to their house. Um, right. If you think about the population of the area in the 17 and 1800s, there weren't a lot of people here. So typically yeah. they, the families were all intermarried, um, that type of thing. So that's cool for us. So, awesome. we, um, so we've come across a couple of homes that have, and I'm, I hope I say this right, apotropaic marks. And okay. they are sort of like X's, uh, O's. Um, they were etched into sides of windows, sides of doors, underneath mantles. Sometimes they were letters and they were pretty much written there to ward off evil and to keep evil spirits out of the house. So for me, I mean, Chris and I talk about this all the time, thinking of the, you know, the climate of the day. Um, there was yeah. plague going on. There were sicknesses. Uh, they were all, you know, very religious people. They didn't understand probably that a sickness was just a sickness. They probably thought it was you know, brought on them for some other reason. So mm -hmm. they came up with all of these marks and, you know, um, I guess, uh, things to try to, to, to ward it off. So when I find a house that has those, I just pause to think like, my God, what did these people go through? And like, what happened? Right. Um, so that always speaks to me, just the, just the struggle that people went through just to survive. I mean, it wasn't like, oh, I'm hungry. Let's go to the pantry. You have to like literally make your food, you know, it's not, yeah. um, it's not as easy. So, so the apotropaic marks, um, are really interesting to me. And we've run across, I would probably say at least five or six properties that have had them. Yeah. And the one in Burks that we just finished have, they have an old log home that's original. It's been, you know, preserved, but it's original to the property. And they have one of those Jersey winder stairs, Mm -hmm. And there's a door that goes underneath and you open the door and the whole backside of the door is just riddled with these apotropaic marks, which would have been considered an entrance into the home. So, you know, you, you research the property and the people and you find out, you know, so many children died or whatever. And you're just wondering, like, 
is that why, you know, they did this? Because they thought that it was, it would help or anyway, it's just that, that kind of stuff is fascinating to me. Just I'm going to have to ask uh, Clyde Lewis, who we have on our show every couple of years. He's the, uh, probably one of the two leading um, paranormal, even gets into the religious side of things. He cool. could probably, he's probably written a book on this stuff as far as being in his wheelhouse. I'm going to have to ask him on that yeah. stuff and get into the details because I'm sure I'm sure that's a, a 25 minute conversation that I could ask him a, a simple question. He would go off into the, the uh, 2000 year history of the marks and what everyone, you know, he's that guy. So now I'm going to have to ask him and see what he has to say because uh, he's well versed on those things. And that could be an interesting uh, little yeah. addition to this down the road to find out more about those. Cause now I'm curious. I know. Yeah. It's like, I'm, like there's rabbit holes everywhere. So just be, be careful where you step. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, 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 I'm big in the rabbit hole, especially when it comes to history. So, yeah. which is awesome, which is Definitely. awesome. And then you guys, well, it sounds like you guys, I mean, before it was you guys just kind of doing stuff around your local area. Now you guys are getting a little bit outside of, you know, in, in neighboring states and things like that. Right. Uh, where, what's your limits on how far you'll go? So it, it's interesting for us <laughs> because when we started this, you know, it was before internet. It was before yep. we're aging ourselves, of course. But um, people now are going. There was before an internet. Um, <laughs> but we, you know, we were out scouring the libraries, so it really constricted us to the area that we could get to physically. Sure. Um, but now with internet, um, all of our searches are really based on the deeds for the property. So thankfully yeah. in the United States, it's pretty much the same, you know, it doesn't matter what state you're in. You have a, a deed trace that you have for your property that just takes it back owner to owner. Um, most of those have been digitized and are available online now. Um, so those counties in those states where the digitiz digitization has taken place, we're really able to, you know, start that search from our houses here in Pennsylvania, we could be researching a house in New Hampshire. Um, so we're really only limited by those places that are not online yet. Um, we would physically have to go to the courthouse to pull those records. So, you know, if, if somebody wanted us to come to, let's say Ohio, I'm making this up, but yeah. Um, and it wasn't a County that was online yet. We would physically have to go to the, the County courthouse to pull the records, but we can really do, anything that we need to do um, from the, the genealogy side of things now, because, you know, we have ancestry, there's family search, there's so many great genealogy tools online. We can do that. Um, even newspapers that we've used have been digitized. Um, so nice. we, we have a lot of things at our disposal now that we didn't have before. So I would say the limitation for us is, is really from the deed, the deed piece of it. Um, yeah. But that's really it. That's awesome. I mean, here in Portland, we had we had some things go sideways in the digitization process because the uh, city of Portland here decided to do all their building permits. You could kind of go back and see what was happening in the house. When they did it, they destroyed all the originals, I oh. believe. Oh, and then they lost a decade of records oh. in like the 70s to 80s, if I remember right. So guy. we've had more issues with that process because... We had a house, for instance, that we were getting ready to do a, a remodel on and they lost all those records. And so we had this debate of they're like, well, we the previous owner said they pulled a building permit on it. And they're like, well, we don't have record on it. And we were like, well, you don't have a record for the decade on it. So wow. why are you trying to make it cost these guys 100 grand because they had Jeez. to go uh, 
get that up to 20, what was it? 17 code. And it yeah. should have been grandfathered in. So uh, sometimes that process, like you said, in some areas, they do it really well. Yeah. And some others, maybe not so well. Yeah. We have uh, a, just a quick kind of side story. One of the counties that's around us is called Bucks County. It's one of the original mm-hmm. three counties in Pennsylvania. When they went to do their digitization of the deeds, they uh, when you talk about a deed book, it's literally a giant leather-bound book that's probably three feet by two feet. It's that huge. They would handwrite the deeds into. And these things go back to the late 1600s in Pennsylvania. Bucks County went in and when they digitized, they took these books and they sent them through a guillotine and cut the spines off of the books so they could have the pages that they could scan, which from an efficiency standpoint, you can see. But afterwards, after they did all this guillotining and digitization and scanning, they kind of rubber banded the books back together again and they threw them in a warehouse and the current registrar of deeds, she came in and, you know, as the recorder of deeds, she was looking for the archives where these deed books were. And she was told that they were in this warehouse. She went to the warehouse, the roof was leaking. They were in piles on the floor, wet and moldy, rotting away. She was horrified. So she started a project, you know, to to really just solicit money to get these books restored and found a company in New England that would take them and actually restore them. So to her credit, you know, she's got these on display now where it's just it's this preservation effort to your point, you know, you have this digitized copy, but the original is still the original. Yeah, the original still matters. And it shouldn't be just be tossed. I mean, to have William Penn's writing on something and just throw it on a warehouse floor, it's just like a gut punch. It's just like, what are you doing? You know? I can't believe somebody taking a guillotine and cutting that book apart. I mean, right. that's that just shocks me that somebody didn't stand in and go, hey, guys, um, is this really a good idea? I know. You know, where was that voice in that process? Right? I know. Yeah, I so- think... Sorry. So Robin Robinson has a adopt a book program um, and it's pretty much that you can donate money to the Bucks County deed cause. And she's, I think they're halfway there, but the lengths that this company goes to, to remove tape, um, fix the tears, like remove the mold. I, I would love to visit their facility. Of course, we probably have to wear hazmat suits cause it's so clean, but yeah. um, it's just, you know, the people behind the scenes that are giving so much effort just to preserve the history that you never hear about. It's just, it's remarkable. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, it, that's a County history. It's not like it's one house that just got raised exactly. that had a cool story. That's, that's just the Bible of the County, you know, getting destroyed for efficiency, which drives me insane. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, the uh, technology age has been both good and bad for for multiple reasons. So, yeah, definitely. So let's talk about if somebody wanted to have their house done by you guys. Let's start from the beginning on that. How how does that work? What are the the current costs for that? Uh, I know you guys have different packages and stuff. I wanted to get that out there before I forget, because there's, a, I know a lot of people, especially our, our listeners on the East Coast, that have plenty of history to their homes that uh, might be going, okay, I want to know. I want to know. So we have, um, when, when we started this, we had like 
five packages. Then we're trying to do hourly and it's kind of impossible because once you start, like you can't stop. Mm -hmm. So we broke it down into two. We have a deed pull and then we have the full Monty, which is just an exhaustive effort where we go until we can't literally can't find anything more. Um, so the deed pull is basically that we will pull all the deeds of your house, um, put together a timeline for you, maybe throw in, you know, a couple newspaper ads to get you started and that's it. So I think that's eight fifty. And then our full package, which is you pretty much have us at your disposal for three months, six months, a year. I mean, it doesn't matter how long it takes. We want to find everything we can. So, you know, once the well runs dry, then we will uh, schedule the presentation. Um, so our full package is 3000 currently. Um, but that is you get uh, newspapers, maps, photos. I get on Ancestry. I've found people living in California who are 85 years old who have personal photo albums that they send to me with pictures of the house. So it's really endless. Um, and how it begins is just literally emailing us at historyaticresearch at gmail.com. Um, I usually start with a phone call because I find like that's more personal and I can get more information from the owner. We send them an intake form, you know, if they agree to either package. And then we schedule a visit, um, come out, and I take a crazy amount of photos. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, we get started. So it's, you know, it starts with the deed poll. We need to know who lived there. And then it's like a spider web out. Um, and we just hunt down those names. And then that's when the story unfolds. So it's really, it's really cool. It's a really awesome process. Nice. So my little, my little brother had a gift because he lives in Yakima, Washington, which is over in Eastern Washington. And uh, not the one that was up there. One of my other little brothers, not the one that was at uh, Jeff's party here a few weeks ago, but uh, right. my other brother, my youngest one, he, uh, he had a lady and a family pull up in front of his house one Sunday mid morning. And this, you know, 40 something year old guy knocks on the door and goes, Hey, um, my grandmother used to grew up in this house and she's out in the car and she's Aww. 90 something years old. She would love to come up, look at the house and tell the story. And of course, my brother being the history geek that he is, and this is a, a cool old 1900s, you know, like 1915, 1918 farmhouse. Awesome. And it was actually one of the old Sears houses, but it's like, it was oh, also cool. built as uh, the Grange Hall. So the basement had used to have a bowling alley and it was the, the farmer Grange Hall as well. But she came in and told the story and had pictures out of stuff. And so he had this gorgeous find of just somebody knocking on his door. That's, that's amazing. amazing. Yeah, we that's love like, stories like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's we that have, new of a house, you know, it's not, there's not a lot around there of that because they just didn't keep great records of, of a, in, in, in a farming community like that. They didn't have a lot of newspapers. The history just wasn't there. Right. 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 We have a lot of people who, you know, show interest or, or reach out to us. And Linda mentioned when we started this, we really tried to find a price point that would reflect the amount of time that we actually spend on this. So thinking about doing, and we've run into, you know, people that, that do something like this, genealogists will do things like this for family research, and they really base it hourly. And we didn't really want to approach it that way because we can't really tell you ahead of time how many hours it's going to take us to do this work. How so, deep is the rabbit hole, right? I mean, exactly. you just don't know. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's, the, it's, you know, how old is the house? But then we, in Pennsylvania, at least, we, it doesn't matter how old the house is. We always take the property back to Penn because we feel like that's the full story. 
Um, but it's sometimes the, the research gets difficult because you have those acreages that get divided, subdivided, divided even more. And you have to, as a researcher, you have to trace every avenue to make sure you're finding where the house was because deeds are not about the house. They're about the property. Yep. So it gets really complicated and to try to, you know, have people, I'd like people to understand that the kind of the really detailed work that has to be done with that, that along with the fact that, you know, if you were to get the full package or, you know, sign up for the full package for us, it's not just a, a bunch of papers that we hand you. We actually do what we call a narrative, which is really the written story of the house. And we will take, you know, if there's a deed that was handwritten in 1750, we will transcribe that deed because a lot of people have very difficult time reading old handwriting. Sure. So we'll transcribe that deed so you have it, you know, typewritten plain English um, to refer to. And we also have things, one of our favorites is wills, um, especially in the 1700s and 1800s. When someone passed away, they had a will they had members of the community come in and, and do an inventory of that person's worldly belongings. Yeah. Um, they valued the property. They valued the person's belongings, but they went so far as to count, you know, the, the number of forks in the drawer. So we will transcribe <laughs> those inventory items. Um, it's fascinating though, because if you think about you're living in a house in 2021 that was built in, let's say 1800, you can actually with these inventories, you can get a picture of what was actually in the room, room by room during the 1800s. It's just fascinating to think about shifting your mindset to the belongings that you have today versus what they found to be important, needful for everyday life back then. Right. So that's kind of the level of detail that we go to, which I, I think, you know, if you were to talk to some of our former clients, I think that's where they get the most bang for their buck is the level of detail that we go to. Um, it's not just a, a surface like, okay, you know, this person owned it. We, we yeah. find every bit and piece that we can uh, for each of the owners. Right? I'll be honest. I think you guys are underpriced. <laughs> well, thank you. All right, Eric, then we're raising it to 10 grand. Forget <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, you should. I mean, no, but here's the thing. The hours that you have to put in for $3,000. I know. It's that's it, a labor of love. It yeah. really is. It right. really is. So we're we're talking about it. We're also talking about I don't know some other avenues of of income and maybe hiring some other researchers. But you know that all comes with growth. And um, both both of us have full time jobs. This is also a full time job. So um, you know we're trying to keep it at bay, I guess. But you know we def definitely want to see it grow. I mean, I think having um, having a show dedicated to a historic home and showing the research. I think that's something that I would be really interested in. Um, so I've been thinking about, you know, how would I do a pilot? What would it look like if we wanted to do this visually as a show? So, you know, the mind's always ticking. So we'll see. I got some people for you to talk to when the time is right. I know Jeff knows people too, but I think that, I think that could be its own story. Yeah. It would be absolutely. fascinating. even on network TV. Right. I agree. So let's get it done. Put it out to the universe and they say it'll happen. So we're putting it out there. <laughs> First thing is talking about it. And you guys yeah. are just rocking this. I love this because, I mean, you guys build such a cool book. There's such a cool story. 
And I think there's really a need to get that information that we all have out there. It's just in weird places that has to be collected together. Mm-hmm. And I think as well as that story, if someone's going to be taking that old stone house and put it up for sale, or you're going to pass it on to the next family to be the ter- caretakers of that property, why would you not want to do this as part of the quote unquote marketing effort of getting that house into the right buyers to tell that story. Right. So that information can be curated and sent down the road with the house. Right. And it's Chris has a very creative design with the book um, where we, it's a, a wooden, two wooden covers and it's connected by rings and it's a little wonky, but the rings come apart. And our goal is that people will add their own history to the book. So if you have a three hole punch and papers, then have at it and add. So our book is, the beginning. And then we want them to continue it. And exactly as you said, you know, leave the history with the house. Um, If you're an old house steward, I always say you get it, quote unquote, you get it. So, um, you know, hopefully your old house people are a rare breed. And I think they all feel the same that, you know, you don't buy an old house because it's easy. You buy it because you want to, you want to maintain the history. I mean, it's expensive. It's annoying. It's wonky. It's (laughs) frustrating at times, but (laughs) you know, you get the history. That's why you buy it because so many people have lived there before and there's, there's a story. If you think, if you think about, you know, buying an antique, let's say an antique piece of furniture, that's Mm -hmm. truly antique, you know, you get the pedigree of that or the provenance of that antique. The house is no different in my, in my mind. So what we put together is really the pedigree or the provenance of the house and the people that live there. So I kind of view it as you're taking the next step in documenting something that has been in existence for a very long time. Um, and and the, the piece that we really love is, you know, the, the governments and, and people have done a fantastic job with the really architecturally significant, you know, really important buildings with the Historic Preservation Societies, the National Register, things like that. We love it when we can go in and take an ordinary farmhouse that to us is just as important as some grand building that some famous architect built. We love the ones where, you know, the farmer came in and and pulled the stones from his own land, built the house, had a family, just regular people. Um, That's the stuff that we love. Yeah, because those stories go untold. As Chris said, like the big national registry and this big manor home on the river that was owned by a famous president, like everybody knows about them, but it's the the struggles of us, of like, you know, the everyday folk that came over and didn't have a dime and cleared land, um, made a family. And, you know, then years later, the town's named after them or something, or, um, back to Jeff's, uh, funny enough, there was a man that owned it that called the detriment of plywood palaces. And he hated like the new development that started happening in the (laughs) seventies. So he wrote this like whole article, like bashing, whatever. So anyway, so if you go over to Jeff's house and we drove around the neighborhood that's above, all of the streets are named after the last names of everybody that owned Jeff's house or the or the main property. So it's like they're still there kind of, but yeah. Um, anyway, I totally segued there, but you get what I'm saying. So. Oh, it's cool. No, it's cool. And that's the that's the beautiful part of that history is now now those street names in the plywood palace back there at least makes sense <laughs> yes. to the piece of the property that they're sitting on. 
Exactly. Right? But they have no idea. You know, like the you know guy that lives on Plumley Drive. It's like, do you know that Plumley was actually the owner of the main manor house? And they're like, what? What are you talking about? So, oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, hey guys, what is the best way for people to track you down since we're running out of time? Um, I would say an email, uh, historyatticresearch at gmail.com. And that's attic as an A-T-T-I-C, not addict like we're addicted to something, although it's <laughs> so, um, But in our website, it's the same thing, historyatticresearch.com. Um, we are in the process of updating, I think, Chris, what, we have like six or seven that we have to add that we've just have been so busy we haven't been able to load. Um, story of the show that we were on with Jeff should be up by now, so go take a read and um, I'm going to open comments. So um, be kind and hope you enjoy. (laughs) Right on. Well, guys, thanks for coming on today. Is there anything else that we didn't touch on that you want to add to? Chris? I I don't think so. I I would encourage people, you know, to to visit our website. It really does give you a good idea of what we do um, and and the detail of of what we can get into with with the property. So take a look. Um, you know, it's always free to look. So, yeah. And I, I run our Instagram page and our Facebook page and that's more of the day to day stuff. The, oh my gosh, look what we found. Or like this morning I posted a a will that Chris is working on that literally looks like a two-year-old wrote it. So, (laughs) so just, you know, our, our day to day and just kind of more current stuff. Um, so yeah, it's all fun. We're having a ball and hopefully it will continue. Absolutely. Thanks, guys, for coming on today. Linda and Chris, historyatticresearch.com. Track them down over there. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thank you. I'm Eric G. And I'm Caroline B. You've been listening to Around, Around the, the House. House. It's Eric G. from Around the House. Are you planning a decking or siding project this year? If you are, you've got to check out my friends at Millboard. Millboard is a completely different kind of composite decking and cladding that enhances outdoor spaces with enduring distinction. Hand-molded from the finest oak, it realistically mimics the natural grain and color of premium hardwood. If you're looking for something that doesn't look like plastic and instead real wood, check out millboard.com. Make sure and check out that interview we did just a few weeks back. That's millboard.com.